What's up, guys? Welcome to Young Adults. Glad you're here with us on a Tuesday night as we kick off a brand new series called Faith That Works. Faith That Works. We're gonna be walking through the book of James, which is found in the New Testament. And in this series, what I, well, here's what I love about the book of James, is it's really just laying out practical wisdom of how you can have a faith, right? In 2023, even, how you can have a faith that practically works uh, in your life. And so excited to be trekking through this, uh, and we'll be looking at a a passage specifically tonight from chapter one, but uh, before we jump into tonight, I want to ask you, do you like being comfortable? Anybody? You like being comfortable, yeah. Like for for me personally, like I love being comfortable. I love that I have a HVAC system in my house that when it's cold I have heat, and when it's hot uh, I have air conditioning. I love seat warmers, hot showers. I love when I feel good, when I sleep good, whenever I'm not sick. Like I love being comfortable, and I'm sure you would agree with that. I, I love comfort food too. My go-to comfort foods. Uh, are, are all sweets, but I love Nutty Bars. Y'all on the Little Debbie train, anyone? Come on, let's go. What's some of your favorite comfort foods? Let, shout them out. Ta- tacos, fried rice, pizza, anything like that's a little more unique? Some, anybody? Okay, all right. Some of y'all are on that pumpkin spice latte grind. You love a nice fall morning, crisp air, and pumpkin spice and everything nice. Uh, We like being comfortable though, right? We, We enjoy that. But I would also ask you this question, because we do love being comfortable as people. I love being uh, like in a state of comfort, but have you ever walked through anything hard in your life? Yeah. If I asked you right now, by show of hands, right, if you've walked through a trial or a season of your life that was hard in the last year, put your hand in the air if that's you. You walked through something difficult. Look around, right? Everybody's got their hand up. And if we asked on your lifetime, have you been through a trial? Everybody in here has been through a trial, a season of life that was difficult, that was challenging. And what's awesome is that God's word speaks to these seasons. You're not gonna be comfortable all the time. You're not gonna always be in the best season, but the the scriptures have a lot to say about how we can approach these situations in our lives, and specifically James, and just breaking down this wisdom, tells us what we can do when we face trials and seasons that are difficult. So I wanna read with you James 1, verses two through four, and uh, we're gonna read that. It says, consider it pure joy, My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I would imagine that in a room like this on a Tuesday night, you're showing up because you're interested in what God has for your life or, or, or what that might look like, or you, you're sold out, you're on mission, and you're saying, hey, I want to be mature and complete. And James lays out a pathway how through our trials, when we lean into them, we can actually see God work. Now, here's the deal. We're gonna be spending some time in the book of James over the next few weeks, so I do wanna take some time to give some context. When you're reading scripture, right, hopefully you take what is taught here and you go and you're reading the word throughout the week. When you're reading scripture, one of the most important things you can do is understand the context 
of what's going on. When you understand the context of what is being written, it oftentimes becomes even more impactful for your life. So I wanna answer the question of who wrote the book of James? Oddly enough, it was a guy named James. Now here's the deal. There's multiple different James listed in scripture, but this James, almost every biblical scholar agrees that the author of the book of James found in the New Testament is none other than the brother of Jesus. This is who is writing, the brother of Jesus. You might hear it described as the half-brother of Jesus because we know that Jesus was born of Mary when she was a virgin, so you'll hear James described as the half-brother sometimes. Nonetheless, he's the brother of Jesus. Why does this matter, okay? In James chapter one, verse one, which we just skipped past, James actually introduces himself as a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So James, the brother of Jesus, doesn't say, hey, I'm the brother of Jesus and you should listen to this. He identifies himself as a servant and as a slave to Jesus. He recognizes him as Lord. Think about how crazy that is. You all have siblings in here. Have you ever called your sibling, your brother, your sister, like Lord? No, I'm a younger brother, right, by two minutes. I have a twin brother. My brother's really smart. He got a 30 on his ACT, full ride to Missouri State University. And uh, that's a tough situation when you're a twin and I walked in the door and I had a 21 on my ACT and uh, no scholarship money. So thanks to my mom and dad, come on. But that's a, that's a tough comparison right there. But my brother, smart guy, great guy, nice guy, but like I know how dumb he is. You know what I'm saying? I know how dumb my brother is. We had a pellet stove when we were kids growing up. Y'all know what a pellet stove is? Like it feeds the pellets down, heats it up, and that's one of the ways you can heat a house. My brother, right? 30 on his ACT, keep that in mind. ACT doesn't mean anything. He took micro machines, these aren't Hot Wheels, anybody remember micro machines, like these little tiny cars, and he put them in our pellet stove, and they ground them up and it broke our pellet stove. And my dad accused, like, he knew it was one of the two of us, and I was like, uh-uh, it wasn't me. I'm not falling on that sword. So my dad, who was a police officer, said, hey, I'm gonna give you a polygraph test. And so I'm gonna know, I'm gonna take you down to the police station and I'm gonna give you a polygraph test and I'll be able to know if you're lying. So my brother confessed, right? So my brother, regardless of what he does, 30 on his ACT, awesome guy, he put micro machines in a pellet stove and broke it, right? I know all of the dumb things that he did in his life. And so when we look at James, and he says about Jesus, his brother, he says he is the servant of the Most High God, we have to look and say, man, what is going on here? And the reality is that this wasn't always the case for James. At one point in the Gospels, it tells us that Jesus' brothers did not believe he was the Son of God. They did not believe that he was the Messiah. They did not believe that he was Lord. But something happened when Jesus, after his death, his burial, and his resurrection, he appeared to James specifically. We know this. It's listed in 1 Corinthians uh, 5.8, I believe is where it's listed. But James was specifically appeared to by Jesus, and it changed something in him. James then committed his life to following and serving in the church and teaching about Jesus. We know that he's one of the pillars in the early Christian church. He was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And you gotta ask yourself, man, to me this is one of the greatest evidences that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was indeed the Son of God, the Lord, the Messiah, the one who came to take away our sins because his own brother was committed to this same idea. 
Even so, even to the point, there's no, uh, historians agree that James was martyred for what he believed in, meaning he was murdered and killed for what he believed in, for the message that he preached of Jesus. One of the accounts that most historians agree with is that on the Passover celebration in Jerusalem, there's many people flocking to begin following Jesus in this way that James talks about. And the Pharisees, the people who were responsible for killing Jesus, they wanted to take an opportunity. They thought, man, if we could get James to tell the people not to follow Jesus, then maybe this movement will stop and it will end. And so they had the idea, let's bring him to the temple and place him up high on the pinnacle of the temple on the, on the Passover celebration, and we'll have him convince the crowd that this isn't the way to go, that they shouldn't follow Jesus. And as he's doing that, James takes advantage of this moment, and he says, hey, this Jesus you're asking about, I can tell you is, he's seated at the right hand of God, and he's coming back again one day. And in anger, the Pharisees realize what's happening, that he's not persuading people not to follow Jesus, that he's actually telling them to follow Jesus, and that they get mad, and they shove him off the top of the temple, the pinnacle of the temple. He hits the ground, and he's not dead but he's beginning to say to these people, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. His body broken, and they begin to stone him. And a fuller comes out, which is a person who did laundry, and they used a club to beat the laundry to clean it at that day, in that day. And a fuller came out and struck James on the head and killed him. Why did James continue to follow this brother of his unless he was the, most high, unless he was the son of God? Why was James obedient to the point of death unless Jesus was who he says he is? That context makes these words so much more impactful when we understand that. And then I wanna read the verses to you just again as we begin to walk through it and break it down and see like, okay, what is the practical application for my life, Logan? You said we were gonna talk about trials. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If you were here last week, one of the first words I wanna point out, he says, whenever you face trials. Trevor made this point last week when he was speaking, is that you will go through storms in life. Y'all have either just walked through a trial, you're going through a trial, or you will go, again through, or will go through one again one day. You're gonna face trials. One of the myths in Christianity is this, is that when you come to Jesus, that life is perfect, free of pain, free of all of those different things. Now, there's a lot of benefits. The benefits of being a follower of Jesus are great. But Jesus never promises us that life will be free of suffering when we follow him. The same way that someone who's not following Jesus could go through a trial, you can too. And scripture tells us that whenever we face trials, that it's gonna happen. And so what James is laying out here is really a mindset shift. He says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Now when I read this, this is not like the message that I'm hyped to preach that it's like, hey, consider it joy when you're going through a difficult season in your life. But what James is saying here is saying consider. He's not being a masochist and saying that you should enjoy pain and you should enjoy suffering. He's saying consider it. He's also not saying that when you're in a trial, you can't have joy at all. He is saying that there is a mindset shift because of your relationship with Jesus that happens when you face a trial where you can consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. 
Because eventually it can produce perseverance, making you mature and complete, lacking nothing. We're gonna get to that. We've gotta consider it. It's a mindset shift. It's a change. Now, the next thing he says that we need to point out is that he says, brothers and sisters. James is writing to a group of believers who are dispersed throughout a region, and they're gathering in community. We would be gathering to hear this letter as it's written, that in community they gather together. Why do we have a church service? Because we gather together as community so that we can bear one another's burdens. Why do we do things like small groups and we encourage groups? Because you need to be in community with other people. Now here's the thing. I know in a room this size, that there are people in here who are suffering silently. There are people in this room that are suffering in silence. You've never let anyone in on it. Maybe you're ashamed, maybe you're embarrassed, maybe you just don't even know what to say or you don't even know how to articulate what you're going through, but there are people who are suffering in silence and if you are suffering in silence, you're not gonna persevere through this trial. You need people around you to strengthen you when you are weak who will speak truth into your life and so if I can encourage you to do anything tonight, if that's you and you're going through a trial and a season and you've not shared it, you've not talked about it, you feel alone, you feel isolated, man, you've got to get that in front of other people that you can have a conversation with, people that you trust, people that care about you. And maybe you're like, I don't even know anyone that cares about me or that I trust. That's why you need to continue to engage in community, to develop relationships like this. Don't suffer in silence. And don't fight, go through your trials alone. You need other people in your life. He says trials of many kinds. Here's the reality. Some of you are going to go through physical trials in your life. There's people in this community that you have diagnosis, you've been diagnosed with a disease or something that you fight with and battle with that is a physical ailment on a regular basis. There's gonna be times when you're sick and you don't feel well that there are physical trials in this life. Sometimes you're gonna go through an emotional trial. Have you ever been with a season where you just feel mentally, man, I am at a struggle point here. I don't know how to quite articulate what's going on, but I know that mentally, I am not in a good place. There are trials mentally that we go through. Some of y'all are gonna go through relational trials. One of the greatest trials some of y'all have faced is you grew up in a family that was not kind to you that did not show you the love of God. Maybe you grew up in an abusive situation, whether it be physically, mentally, whatever it was, you've had relational trials in your life. We're a bunch of imperfect people living in a broken world. There's gonna be times where there's relational strife and there's hurt that's going on. We face relational trials. Some of y'all are in financial trials and your bank account shows it. That was supposed to be kind of funny, but like, I hope your bank account doesn't look like you're going through a trial. But I've been there, you know what I mean? Some of y'all just need to stop spending money on stuff that doesn't matter. But there's financial trials. You know you get hit with burdens sometimes that you didn't expect? That you get hit with financial things that can seem to weigh you down? There's financial trials that go on. You name it. There's a million different trials out there that look a million different ways in a million different settings. But no doubt we face trials of many kinds. But these trials can actually do something in our life as they can actually produce perseverance. I love what the late Timothy Keller says in a message as he's talking about this passage. How does, 
This is where we've gotta begin to reshape our focus and to reshape the way we think, is how can our trials be good? How can, how can we get anything good out of them? How can we be joyful in the trial and consider it joy when we face trials? Timothy Keller says four things happen whenever we face trials. It develops humility in our lives. Firstly, we live in a world that wants to pump up and say, you're strong enough, you can handle anything, but the reality is all of us are weaker than we would probably ever like to admit. I know I am. Why when things are hard do we long for someone who has power to help us? Why do we long for a creator who can help us in our situations? It's because God intended it to be that way, that we would seek him in humility. Some of y'all are in a trial season right now because in humility, you've never recognized your need to be saved of your sin. You've never come and repented or turned from your sin. And what does scripture tell us to do? It says to call on the name of Jesus in order to be saved. It says to confess our sins and that we will be forgiven of our sins. Some of y'all need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. We say it all the time is start a relationship with Jesus and recognize, hey, this life is not my own. I was created on purpose for a purpose. It takes humility to get to a place to recognize that I don't have to be Lord of my life. I'm gonna let Jesus be the Lord of my life. You know, and here's what people say. Have you ever heard uh, people say that, man, Christianity is just an opiate for the masses or religion is just an opiate for the masses? Some people will say Christianity is just a crutch. But if that's your mindset, what you're not understanding is that, that that's not at all what it is. Christianity isn't something you just add in to prop yourself up and like my life's a little bit better. No, it's that you're spiritually dead and Jesus' death on a cross has allowed you to be spiritually alive, to be a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. So Jesus didn't come to just be a crutch, to be an additive to your life. He came to transform and to renew and to totally give you new life and life abundantly. But it takes humility to get to that point. And one of the saddest things for me is to watch people go through trial after trial after trial and they just still don't turn to Jesus. And my heart hurts for him because I'm like, man, if you would just turn to him, there's good that can come out of this. You're so beaten down. But man, God has a plan for you. Trials build humility in our lives. Sometimes they just humble us and teach us, man, and remove pride from our lives. The second thing that he says is this, is that trials give us freedom, actually. Have you ever thought about this? When you're in the midst of a trial, oftentimes it hurts so bad because you are losing something that you think you can't live without. Whether it's a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or your physical health or your, 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 you know, your, where you're at mentally, you're losing something that you feel like you can't live without, something that has a grip around you. And what going through the trial does is as you make it through it, with the help of God, you realize, man, God, you sustained me and you helped move me through it. And you are actually freed from the thing that held you captive. Trials have the ability to do that for us. What else do trials do? They build compassion towards other people. When you're down, it helps you to see other people with compassion. And I think the more trials I walk through, the more compassion I've had for other people. And also the trials, the things that have been hard in my life, I can look at someone else who's going through that and I can, ah, I can relate to what you're going through. I hate that for you. 
man, you can relate to them in a different way. It builds compassion. The fourth thing that Timothy Keller talks about is that it builds faith for us, right? It tests us. Did we get into Christianity to just be served or did we get into Christianity, right, and accept Jesus into our lives in order to serve him, to know him, to love him, to worship him, to glorify him? They build our faith. It builds us humility. It gives us freedom. It grows our compassion and it grows our faith. The trials can produce perseverance in us. I wanna share with you a couple of trials that I feel like I've walked through just really briefly, um, not, not to like sit and talk about me or to say that my life's been hard or anything, but I think it helps to hear what other people have gone through in a sense of like, oh, okay, like that's a way a trial produced perseverance. My freshman year of college was a hard year for me. I don't know if that's been a, a hard thing for y'all, if you remember back to that time. I was trying to figure out who I was. Uh, honestly, uh, a girl I had dated in high school broke up with me and it wrecked me. I was like, I don't know, I, I have no confidence. I don't like the way I look. School is stressing me out. Uh, I don't know like what I'm supposed to do socially. I don't know who my friend group needs to be. And I just felt like in a rut and I'm like, God, will you help me? But in leaning into him, what I learned over the next few years as I went through college, and as I, I continued to engage with God is he grew my confidence and he really taught me in that season. I, I don't know if there's a point in my life where I've ever grown more. Spiritually, he taught me and showed me, hey, following me is worth it. You know, another trial that my family walked through is one night I got home from church and we got a phone call from someone in our family and uh, they let us know that someone in our, our family had been arrested and it was for some pretty awful things. And it, it almost felt like a movie. It almost didn't feel real. But as the reality of the situation set in, it was so dark to be around something that was so evil and to feel like this is my family. I can't get away from it. It's, it's here. Sometimes the trials you face and oftentimes the trials that you face in your life weren't because of something you've done, but because of someone, something someone else did to you. And I remember walking through that season, and I hated it, and I don't want to go back, right? But I remember it developed in me a desire to continue to pursue holiness. It developed in me a desire to love my family well and to care for my family. And my life has been changed since then. Yeah, I didn't want to walk through the trial, but it changed me. Another thing that I, I, I've been recently walking through is over the last year, um, I've just kind of struggled with what I would say is like anxious thoughts or anxiety. And this is something that like I've known that that's a piece of my personality for a little bit growing up and something that I wanted to grow in and that I was asking God to help me. But over the last year, it's kind of had seasons where it's like, man, I'm going through these cycles and it feels like I'm back again and I'm in this rut. And I've had the thought even sometimes like, man, like I just miss having fun in life. I've been in that like type of rut sometimes. But God has been so good to me. As I've walked through that season, I've asked him time and time again, take my anxiety away. Take that thought from me. Take that thing that I'm worrying about away. But over the last year, I've been waiting for God to just remove it completely. And I prayerfully and hope that there's a day where I have total and complete victory and freedom in that. And I believe that there can be that day for me. But over the last year, I've grown in my I've grown in my walk with God. I've grown in my intimacy with God. I've spent more time reading scripture. I've memorized more scripture. I've increased accountability. I've shared that with other people. I've been prayed over and um, 
been able to help people who are in that situation as well. My relationship with my wife is stronger because of it. It's increased my communication. I've consumed less social media. And so I look back and I say, man, I don't want the trial, God. But also, man, it's developing perseverance in my life. And here's the deal, okay? Sometimes we just need a pep talk. We need a pep talk. Because we're so busy trying to run towards comfort and what's easy that we don't lean in to the trial that's going on. So sometimes we need to look in the mirror and remember that these are light and momentary afflictions that we face. If we have a relationship with Jesus, we look forward to a day that there's no weeping, no hurting, and no pain. We need to understand that our trials aren't going to consume us because we have the Spirit of God working in us, giving us strength and giving us protection and power. We need to understand that we are chosen, that we are loved, that we are forgiven, and that God is near, and that we might be weak, but God is strong and strong in us. Some of y'all need that pep talk tonight. You're walking through something, and you've got to stop listening to the lies of the enemy, and you've got to start getting the truth of God's word into your life, and let it speak and be the loudest voice in your life, and that's the roadway to perseverance. That's the roadway to victory, is allowing the truth of God to come into your life. God is near, God is powerful, and God knows all things, and he knows what you're going through. He sees you. He's not distant. He's present. He's right there with you in the midst of the fire. He is right there with you. And he wants to do a work in what you're going through. So my challenge to you is if you're just running towards comfort and you just wish it was over, or if you took a step back, said, God, I don't know how I'm gonna do this, but I'm gonna lean in in this season. And I'm gonna ask you to do a work in me. You know, what does it mean to be mature and complete in our faith. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, I suggest to you that is because God loves us that he gives us the gift of suffering. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You see, we are like blocks of stone out of which the sculptor carves the forms of men. The blows of the chisel which hurt us so much are what make us perfect. That idea that like God uses pain as a megaphone sometimes to get our attention and to reorient our thoughts towards things that are of eternal worth and value. And instead of looking to ourselves and to our own power and our own strength, we look to the God in heaven who loves us and who created us. What does it mean to be mature and to complete lacking nothing? Nobody wants to be weak. I don't wanna be weak. I don't want to admit weakness, but I love, I love this quote. I've heard it from several different people, and I'm stealing it from uh, Sela Stanley. Sela's one of our residents here, and, and the quote is this, that if dependence is the goal, right? If dependence on God is the goal, then weakness is the advantage. If dependence on God is the goal, then weakness is the advantage. How is that advantageous? Because if we're supposed to, if we're built and created to worship a God who loves us, and if we're built to depend on him, then when we are weak, it's so easy to look to somebody who's stronger than us. Practically speaking, here's one of the, the ways I've seen this play out in our church. There's a woman at our church named Shirley Bruton. She sits right out here every Sunday 
And uh, I've developed, you know, just gotten to know her over the years. And uh, a couple of months ago, I remember hearing that she was in the hospital and she had fallen and she had hit her ribs on the side of her sink in her bathroom and it broke her ribs. And when she went to the hospital, she received treatment. They put her on pain medication. She gets sick as a result of it. So with broken ribs, she's got nausea and everything that comes with it. And I just think, wow, what a trial to go through. That's awful. That's not a quick process. You know what? I saw Shirley show back up and sit in that seat though. Not because it's just her routine and what she does is come to church, but because she knows that when she comes to church, that she's gonna grow, that it's gonna help her. I watched her as uh, another lady that she's close with had a stroke during that time, how she cared for that other woman, how she made phone calls and let people know what was going on, that she kept an outward focus in the midst of her trial, that she stayed faithful in the midst of her trial and obedient. And I was like, that's what it looks like to be mature and complete, lacking nothing. That's perseverance. Not that things are perfect, but understanding that we have a God who won't waste a season and that we'll use it. So what are the application points? You gotta get community. You can't walk through stuff alone. You've gotta get in the word and you've gotta read it and study it. And you gotta start memorizing scripture, write it on your heart. Sometimes I hear somebody say like, I can't memorize scripture, that's just not something I can do. You can too. You can do that. God will give you the strength to do that. And you write that on your heart and then as you're going through the seasons, you can speak it over your life and you're speaking truth over your life. And some of y'all, what you need to do in the midst of your trials, you just need to lay it on God. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You're not strong enough to keep carrying it. I love Psalm 57.1. It says, have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me for in you I take refuge. I take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Some of y'all have nowhere else to go but to the, foot of, to the feet of Jesus and ask him to cover you and protect you while the storm's going on because some of you are going through some hard stuff. And it's hard, and it's real. If it's hard to you, it's hard. And you have a loving God who wants to comfort you and protect you. Now, this is the only way you can have this mindset is by having a relationship with Jesus. So if you've never come to God in humility and said, God, I wanna make you the Lord of my life, I don't wanna do this on my own. I wanna make you the Lord of my life. That's what's gonna change it. That's the starting point. And here in a minute, we're gonna pray and we're gonna respond and the worship team's gonna sing a specific song. And in this song, it talks about when I am weak, your spirit is strong in me. And some of y'all don't need to just like sing that out. You need to like declare that tonight. Some of y'all need to come up. We have people here up front who would love to pray with you. You just need to grab someone and say, you might not even be able to get the words out, but you just need to pray over it and you need to declare it. I wanna ask you to bow your head right now before we respond and I wanna ask everyone who's here, have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you made him the Lord of your life? 
If you wanna say yes to following Jesus tonight, you wanna make him the Lord of your life, would you just put your hand in the air so that I can pray for you? I wanna make you the Lord of my life. I want you to pray with me. God, I know I've failed. I know I've made mistakes, but I wanna put my trust in you. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and I wanna make you the Lord of my life. God, I pray for every person in here. You tell us in your word where two or three are gathered, you're there also. So no one's in here uh, tonight alone that you're present with us. And as we face trials and storms in life, Lord, would you be so sweet to us and kind to us? Show us what we need to learn and give us the energy, the strength to carry on and deliver us from the trials, Lord. There's hope in you. It's in your name we pray, amen.